So, how do we start this off? Well, you're the big kahuna on this one, so you can announce it and introduce what we're talking about. All right. Hello, Internet, and welcome to another scintillating episode of Never Stay Dead. I'm your co-host, Matt, along with my other co-host... Damien, who's wondering what the word scintillating means. <laughs> I, I read it in a book somewhere. <laughs> oh, okay. That you is not one you coined all by yourself. I could do a Stanleyism. That's fine. <laughs> uh, we are here today to talk about Batman White Knight, the Sean Murphy Batman special that ran recently and retroactively became part of the DC Black Label despite a uh, lack of appearance of a certain um, appendage bat member. (laughs) There was talk at one point uh, Sean Murphy wanting to do there's a one page kind of naked in bed scene and he was they carefully positioned thought are not a word bubbles over crucial body parts and I think he was saying, oh, someday there'll be an adult version of this where, where all of that will be uncovered. Um, <laughs> but I wonder now if that's going to happen. So I just read this trade recently because I've been hearing things and I'm a fairly big fan of Sean Murphy's work. And uh, I, I just had to check it out and we were looking for something to talk about. And it turned out Damien had read this recently and uh, refreshed himself, if my memory is right. Yeah, I read it as it came out monthly. I'm not sure when it ended, maybe four or five months ago. So it was a little, fu- the details were fuzzy in my brain. So I, I reread it entirely on Hoopla, even though I own physical copies tucked away in a box somewhere. And um, I, I was a huge, before this uh, book came out, I'm a huge fan of Sean Murphy when he's writing and drawing because of his... Uh, well, what is now a trade, um, uh, Punk Rock Jesus, which I thought was uh, well, very above average writing and, of course, awesome art by Sean Murphy. I consider Sean Murphy one of the very best artists, for at least for this kind of comic. Um, there's even kind of shades of... of uh, he's a bit of a Will Eisner-ish author in my, or artist in my mind. Huh, Especially I get more Frank Miller. Of, well, sure, but Frank Miller comes from that too. But okay. uh, he's much more detailed than Frank Miller. And I think he's much more a master of interesting perspectives and lighting than Frank Miller, i.e. more like Will Eisner to me. But but I definitely okay. see the Frank Miller comparisons. Huh. Um, yeah, I can and see And you can't forget saying. Frank Miller is a hugely influenced by... Um, by Will Eisner. They did a whole book together. <laughs> Which book was that? Well, it's a whole book of them having a conversation. Oh, oh, that kind of book. Okay, I yeah, thought you meant yeah. a work. Yeah, no, no, I don't think they ever worked together because Eisner, <coughs> excuse me, to my knowledge, he never kind of teamed up with people except for kind of assistants who did the backgrounds or tightened the pencils for him or something. Right. But that's getting us off track. Well, that's what we but do. Th- that's how much I like Sean Murphy's art that I compare it to Will Eisner. For me, that's very high oh, praise. I, I feel like if you're going to compare anyone to Will Eisner in the comic game, that has to be high praise. I mean, it's Will Eisner. They named the Eisners yeah. after him, right? Like, is there? There's very few artists as well regarded as as he. Right, and if you look at like right now, I'm looking at the front piece of the book. I assume it's the same in your physical copy as in the my cover? digital copy. No, the front piece where it gives the credits. Okay. It's a picture of the Joker or oh, the, like the Joker in a cell? sitting on a yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And that's just so such a beautiful black and white illustration, and that's kind of what I think of when I think of Will Eisner is pictures like that. Well, <clears throat> and yeah. it just shows how detailed he can get. Well, and so you, for those on audio who can't see yes. this, it is Joker in his cell surrounded by Batman memorabilia. Right. And things posted to the wall, articles. 
Right. And most notably right above him is there's this poster that's this image of Batman drawing up his cape that was the definitive image, I believe, of uh, Batman the Animated Series from the Yes, 90s. it was. It was indeed. And so it's both a very detailed picture and very, um, I think what you call expressionistic, like expressionistic art or expressionistic uh, cinema. You know, a lot of the shadows are almost more important than the than the figures in a way. Okay. And the the, the play of light and shadow is is very extreme. Right, which for this book, you know, framing Joker or um, right. How'd you say his last name? Uh, oh, Napier. I think Napier. Jack Napier, which was the name they gave the character who became the Joker in the first tim burton batman movie i believe i think that's where the name jack napier comes from that sounds right yeah um so shall i give one of my little praises very rapid description and spoiler of this comic oh sure go for it i was gonna and, try <laughs> and then oh oh no then you go ahead and try you're the you're the head honcho of this one this one was picked by matt so he runs the show here oh okay yes um <clears throat> so this is a book where Joker is the White Knight in contrast to Batman being the Dark Knight. Uh, what it is, is that Joker is being the Joker uh, in this Elseworlds. It's effectively an Elseworlds tale, meaning not strict continuity. Right. I, I think that's It would important. be nice if it were labeled Elseworlds. That would have really helped. Well, black labels, the new Elseworlds, I guess. And <laughs> right. That's, that's a good point. Now that it is labeled black. It wasn't when I read it. Right. Um, so the Joker is fed some pills, uh, rather forcibly by Batman, which becomes a sticking point for a while. But these, these are meds that allow him to be sane. They allow him to be Jack Napier and not the Joker, but the Joker is labeled as a persona in his mind, trying to regain control, essentially, throughout the book uh and so this plays with the sanity bit it's very similar to a jam de mateus art called going sane that was done a while ago but there's a lot more piled on to the premise that goes throughout the book for when things slide back to the status quo inevitably right um well I had because I I had written down that it takes place in kind of four acts. Okay. One where um, Batman is out of control, beats up Joker and gives him the pills, you know, mm -hmm. shoves these pills down his throat. And then the next act is where the Joker becomes sane, both sane and a super genius mm -hmm. who wants to fix Gotham. And he begins his sort of kind of political and uh, public relations effort to to save Gotham from Batman and the Joker, basically. And uh, then in the in my view, then the next act, uh, he 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 gets enough power that he can cause Batman to be arrested and placed in Arkham and starts up a new police force police unit that is basically everyone has Batmobiles and all the bat gear. And so have taken the police have taken over Batman's role. Um, with the help of Nightwing and Batgirl. And then in the final act, they have to bring Batman back out of Arkham to help defeat the new Neo-Joker, uh, who um, is freezing the city with a freeze ray. And, um, <laughs> and the Joker kind of has to, the Joker slash Jack Napier kind of has to make a sacrifice to help save, save the city. But not really. <clears throat> Not as big of a sacrifice as it seemed at first. It's almost like uh, Murphy wanted to give the Joker more of a happy ending, or Jack Napier more of a happy ending. Yeah, I, uh, I the way that plays out in the end is a bit muddled, and I think actually kind of kills what's supposed to be a interesting take at the end of the book here. But we can get there. Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd agree with that assessment. So there's a lot of things going on in this book. A, there's a the, lot. There's a lot going on in it. 
I so there's the story, which in of itself has a lot. Um, there's the fact that this is a very um, kind of fan fictiony play on, like I said, that old story, Going Sane. When I say, which I I have not read. Well, how does Going Sane play out? Uh, it's smaller in scale uh, because of what most comics have to be, and that's what I mean mm. by this being fan fictiony. I guess also. So going sane is dealing with if the Joker uh, was balanced and became sane. And it's more like he just becomes a uh, Gothamite and, and has to deal with modernity and that but kind he, of cracks. But he doesn't take way. down Batman through more sane means, which is kind of what Jack Napier does. Right. And eventually there's some, there's some Joker Batman play when he's not fully the Joker. but But this... Bring, drags in the entire bat cast. So Poison Ivy has a bit. The Mad Hatter has a bit. You know, like you said, the Freeze Ray, uh, Mr. Freeze. Right, Mr. Freeze has a pretty big bit. Yeah. Harley, there's two Harley Quinns, which actually I think is one of the strokes of genius of this book. Yeah, that's something I, That's <clears throat> something to really dig into because um, that's loaded. Uh, and But the... Um, the basic history of Batman's a bit changed, I think. If I understood correctly, which I missed on my first read, uh, Jason Todd was the first Robin and mm-hmm. Dick Grayson was the second. Yes. And they do that so that they can take the Jason dying to inform the the then Robin to become Nightwing, to have a more divisive split and more of a reason to be upset with him. Uh, right. To kind of let Nightwing be the middle child, if you will. Right. In a way. Which makes Dick Grayson a completely different character than we're used to. He's not the cheerful person at all. He's the bitter, angry at his father, can't forgive his father kind of person. It's his like, father being Bruce Wayne. It's like they should have let Dick die and then just made Jason become Nightwing later. I feel like that right. might have been a little more of a play to make this book stand out and fit better. Either way, though, it kind of just reads as not like... Not a very important thing, but just something that um, Sean Murphy had always wanted to do. You know, kind of going back to your calling this being like fan fiction. It's like, well, my in my headcanon of Batman, Jason Todd came first, so I'm just going to do that. Right. Which I don't mind. It's just that the way that Dick is written, it's Jason. So, I don't know. It's just a lot. And yeah, so it is odd. Yeah. I guess he wanted to leave it that Jason Todd is the one who seemingly is killed by the Joker. Yeah. And I mean, okay, so that's how this book is playing it. Fine. Um, And then Batgirl uh, feels split between the two. Right. Which I think is one of the weaker aspects. Batgirl works much closer with Batman than I think she normally does in the normal mythos. Right. She's basically the Robin as of the point where this book starts. Right. Right. And uh, if she is commissioner, I think she is. I don't know if she's acknowledged as Commissioner Gordon's daughter, but I assume she still is. Yeah, I don't know if that was supposed to be a secret or not, which made a couple points odd because her and Nightwing um, become part of this task force that Jack Napier sets up afterwards. Maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves here. It's okay. There's so much here. I think we're just going to have to jump around to things that pop into our head. Right. So if you want the plot synopsis, I mean, this guy's, you kind of just have to read this book and we're just going to try to talk about it because trying to plot. Let's just talk about aspects of it. Um, We could talk about the general complexity. Did you think that worked? Which, which, sorry, which just overall there being the overall complexity of this eight issue series. How do I say this? I, I'm not against the fact that it was so complex. I mind the level of complexity because by the end, it's clear that it wasn't fully thought, thought out and it wasn't all building mm-hmm. to something or considered fully. Right. It seemed more fully considered on my second read. Mm-hmm. On my first read, it seemed oddly both complex and repetitive. Okay. Um and so looking at it on a second read, I'd say there was more good stuff here than I realized, but maybe he needed an editor to sit down and work through the story and the, the beats of the story better. Um, despite its complexity, it felt too long. And I know it was originally, mm-hmm. I think, a six-issue series, and it was so popular in the first few issues. 
that they gave uh, Murphy permission to expand it to eight issues, if I'm remembering correctly. That sounds right. Um, so, and I can see why he wanted more space because he has he has a lot of different, say, character arcs going on. Mm-hmm. He has a character arc for two different Harleys, not to mention the Joker and Batman and Batgirl and um, even... Uh, Mr. Freeze, I always forget his name. Dr. Freeze, Mr. Freeze, Captain Cold. <laughs> Captain Cold's the other Freeze. guy. It's not Dr. Freeze, is it? Even though no. he is probably a PhD. No, there is a Dr. Cold or something between Marvel and DC, I know. But it's Mr. Yeah. Freeze. Even Mr. though Freeze. he's legit right. a doctor. More so right. than a lot of other comic characters. A lot of people called call doctor. <laughs> and um, I, I suppose... Uh, Jim Gordon is kind of going through a character arc and he gets uh, dropped. I feel even smaller character arcs are like uh, Bullock Bullock. I always forget his name. Bullock. Um, yeah. Bullock's going through a bit of a change along with um, the character Duke, whose last name I forget, who is just a teenager in the normal Batman stuff. Another Robin like character, but here is a lone vigilante in the, um, African neighborhood, the African American neighborhood, who used to be a vet, was a veteran, and then became a cop, and then quit being a cop because of the corruption. So he's a he's has no connection with the character Duke in other comics, as far as I can tell, except you know he's African American, which is a yeah. And so that's where I have to bring in one of the other elements that makes this book more complicated to read, and I. I feel like I just have to address this head on. Um, Sean Murphy, in a way, was claimed by Comicsgate as one of their creators. Yes. And I don't know if he ever answered that. Uh, He purposely never said no, but never said yes. He took the most uh, business-appropriate path, if you will. Which um, is what Comicsgate is all about, so... But the politics here are not clear. Well, I don't think. And but he uses a lot of catchphrases like gatekeepers, uh, snowflakes, SJWs. He uses the word SJ, social justice warriors. Um, in the end, that part doesn't play out. I don't think. I felt like he thought about going somewhere with that and then let it drop. Maybe. Well, it's interesting because. Ultimately, at the end of the day, how Sean Murphy feels about Comicsgate is something I don't know. I don't think there's ever an official public statement, and I'm not going to necessarily try to label or put him one way there. But he never said no, and and a lot of what I can say for sure is a lot of people who label themselves as part of Comicsgate were drawn and enjoyed this book at first. And then I didn't hear them talk about it later on. By the time it ended and the trade came out, they stopped talking about it. Right. Um, well, amongst yeah. other things, this this book takes more head-on than any other Batman book, although it's obviously there in tons of Batman, that Batman enjoys brutalizing people. And despite the fact that he doesn't use a gun, he is a pretty vicious kind of vigilante um, it became too, at the very last page, to really spoil things, the very last page, he says to Jim Gordon, I enjoy hurting criminals, Jim. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, it, it's more explicit as, um, as as Batman being a law and order, a quote law and order type of person who's out of control, which is not a comfortable it tends to lean into the more conservative side of things. And and if you portray Batman poorly because of that, you're sort of perhaps talking about police brutality and other things that um, are more espoused by liberals normally, I suppose. Am I getting off track here? Or does, no, that... I, I think that tracks. And what's interesting, too, is um, throughout this book, much like The Dark Knight Returns, uh, there are a couple newscasters that we get yes. very uh, 
Twitter-esque debate from. That's where the term social justice right. war was used. Right. And, and you have and one represents the liberal and one represents the conservative too. A, a man and a woman. Right. And how that plays out and who blames who and who points the fingers about what about the Joker is interesting at first because it breaks down oddly like you'd expect if you assume that Batman is an established uh, quantity in Gotham. Right. But what's interesting is by the end, both of them are so kind of conflicted and muddled about it because Jack Napier did some good things the wrong way ultimately was worse about it than what they were blaming Batman for, got some things done, and then ended up being the Joker at the end of the day, and they just had to throw him in a cell. It was ultimately all kind of futile. Right. And, you know, that was, to me, at the heart of this, the flaw, one the, the biggest flaw at the heart of this, it's still, a, this is a fascinating graphic novel. And it, yeah, I actually liked it a lot better on the second read. But, uh, to me, the, the flaw at the heart is, does the author believe that Jack Napier was basically good? Or was he basically bad, but just behaving badly in a different way than the Joker by more subtle, more somewhat political manipulations of things? Or was he, through some of his bad behavior, just like Batman, the ends justify the means? Did he really create something good well and i i feel like the author vacillated on that couldn't make up his mind well because i feel like ultimately the theme that we're going for here in all kinds of aspects is abuse and how it's cyclical right so whether or not jack napier was good or not i don't know if it matters because if you if you view it a certain way Jack isn't born until he comes out of the result of Batman brutalizing the Joker with pills, trying to do the right thing completely the wrong way. Um, but Jack is supposed to be the good person that was hidden inside the Joker. Right. But he's also ultimately manipulated and controlled by his girlfriend, the quote-unquote real Harley Quinn. Right, Harleen Quinzel, the actual psychiatrist, as opposed to a bank tailor, to, teller who later becomes Har, Harley Quinn. Because the original Harley <coughs> left when Joker was too abusive, and then this other one stepped in and the Joker didn't even notice, which is... which That's great, actually. I thought that was a great touch of what the Joker is like. right. But also then she manipulated situations to bring out this Jack the way she wanted to, making her the controlling, conniving one of the right. relationship. But it was for good reasons. And so is that wrong or right? And Batman acknowledges her having good reasons at the end. But really, did her scheme actually cause... Um, well, her scheme involved taking away the willpower of a whole bunch of criminals. Right. And um, manipulating and, and then, Batman. And manipulating things so that uh, Harleen Quinzel, the, uh, not Har Harley Quinn, became Nova uh, Neo-Joker and nearly destroyed a large portion of Gotham. And what's interesting, too, is the two Harleys is commentary on, on some level, I am navel-gazing or armchair psychology here. But those two Harleys, I believe a part of that is Sean Murphy's talk about Har Harley Quinn and how she's supposed to be versus right. the Harley Quinn we have now. Well, it fit perfectly. There was a Harley Quinn that was based on the TV show, the animated Batman the Animated TV show. Right. Uh, which we mentioned is visually, uh, it... visually um, referenced right at the beginning in the, in the front piece. And and then this new oddly sexy punk pornographic looking one, right? Um, so it does seem like there are two Harleys. So that just seemed a, a perfect kind of thing, and and that there were two different uh, approaches to the Joker: one with the fantasy that you could improve him, and one that just loved the S and M of it all. Yeah. 
which <laughs> but I still think that I feel that Sean Murphy that it did matter because he made it seem like it mattered whether um, Jack Napier was a was actually a good person or a bad person and and even though the public was thinking he was a good person we saw how he was manipulating things behind the scenes all along it wasn't like a surprise to us later when it was revealed us readers um but they they still have this big scene where harleen quinzel points out to him that that he hasn't been behaving well because he used supervillains and he um did all that had them attack downtown gotham to achieve his ends but then later she does say he was a good you know what i'm saying i just feel like that that aspect of it right and that's what i mean by like it's so convoluted and all this and when you get to the end at the the end act being uh jack and batman working together to bring down neo joker in association with most of the villains at that point it's like the end of a big buddy movie slash James Bond movie with a giant scene of everyone fighting in a giant set piece. Wonderfully drawn and everything. But And then Jack supposedly sacrifices himself so that Harley can get away in this big car chase, except he ultimately survives unscathed. Right. No particular explanation, but Batman just finds him floating underwater and rescues him. And then... As part of this, he's sacrificing his sanity, his jackness, to do the right thing for the city and everyone, ultimately. Right. But it doesn't matter because before that, they established he was going to have to give that up anyways because right. the pills it, the, weren't The pills working were anymore. working less and less. I mean, I guess it um, fast-tracked it. Yeah, but... so I think what we're looking at is just so many mixed messages thematically all over the place. And that's um, lots of great thematic ideas, but they mixed up this way. Sorry, I interrupted you there. Oh, no, it's fine. I was just going to repeat like and that's what I mean by like at, by the end of this thing. It just feels like it was kind of wrapped up and not very tightly put together by the very end. So it, it really kind of undercuts what was a really strong build. And they just kind of had to pick one way to go with it. And I think it would have just been strong, but by kind of playing it both ways and trying to make something dramatic that already was undercut is what killed it. Whereas if they just played through the story, uh, I I think it would have been fine. And it's, it's frustrating to read a story where you're like, I I don't want a story doctor too much, but that feels like an oversight that just feels sloppy. In a weird way, both Batman and the Joker are forgiven at the end. Mm-hmm. But that part seems a little forced. I, I was pretty well convinced during the course of this story, Batman was out of control and was behaving like a criminal. And he kind of admits it himself, but that's all right, because now he admits it and he's going to let the world know he's Bruce Wayne. Which also, how would that really turn out? But anyway. <laughs> well, and it would have been interesting to see that if ultimately by the Joker trying to do good even if somewhat flawed that's what destroys batman by making people see how he's treating others and creating the situation to be worse you know something like that to even just tilt it a bit more right and then because this is there's no continuity here batman doesn't have to exist by the end of this thing right and if we walked away with the Batman persona no longer being viable by anyone who propped it up or set it up and then Bruce Wayne's still alive, I think it could have been a very interesting meditation on the whole idea of vigilantism and all that. I I think it could have had a lot more weight. And instead, we just kind of get this sing-song ending, like you were pointing out. And if it did that, it would be more of a kind of realistic look at trying to do good and getting power and things like that, where, you know, in the arc of many... uh, many a what's the word not tyrant but many of a powerful ruler at first they do a lot of good but if they stay in power too long things get corrupted Mm -hmm. and um and the best choice is to step down after a certain point um i don't know there's so many interesting things here though i I still feel like it's really worth reading 
Um, and the art doesn't hurt. And the beautiful, beautiful coloring by Matt Hollingsworth also. Yeah. And I, I want to point it's out. Just feeling it could have been so much better, you know, because of all the good stuff in it, in a way. Right. It, for a book to kind of have the failings this book has, it has to be so much more ambitious and push so much harder than what we're getting in our general monthlies. You yeah. just, you can't get something this daring with the idea of Batman with uh, the current, not with just the current, but I mean with your average Batman run. Because there's some just rules that they can't break by the nature of being serialized storytelling and there has to be a Batman next month. And even when they kill Batman, it doesn't read the same way as some of the stuff that they're doing. If some of the tricks that were pulled in this White Knight were pulled in a general Batman run, it wouldn't have the same weight or they couldn't write it the same way because you know it's going to come around. Yeah. Yeah, you know, whereas in within the confines of a, quote, Elseworld story or Black Label story, it can have a, an ending that, and and you're right, it should have ended with Batman just stopping being Batman. It went halfway to that. Right. <clears throat> Another kind of on the positive thing that I really noticed on the second reading is how just about every character has two faces in the sense of huh. very obvious with, um, Jack Napier and the Joker, but really Batman has two faces too. This out of control, um, out of control, hyper focused crime fighter who doesn't listen to anybody, and then this kind of sentimental person who's you know who uh, Alfred is his like his father figure, and he has these children figures and stuff. You know, maybe not intentionally but it did feel like there was an evil batman in here and a good batman in here <laughs> and uh the the same even for for bullock and and for um harleen quinn both harleen quinzels had two faces and and even the uh mr freeze seems you know he's is he a villain and a nazi or is he just a good guy who cares about health and taking care of people <laughs> oh well and that was something we haven't talked about he in this book they make uh mr freeze of n nazi heritage so he's the son of a nazi war criminal who was bought brought over to the u.s for his scientific knowledge in making freeze weapons um so he himself is only the son of a nazi criminal and Thomas Wayne aided and abetted in bringing Nazi criminal scientists over to the U.S., apparently. Although later it's kind of revealed that, at least in the case of Mr. Freeze's father, his intention was um, its, health, its help in health issues, not in creating weapons. Even though creating weapons was the ultimate result. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> that feels like... Uh, that it's was a lot... A lot of extra stuff thrown in for no particular reason, except... Yeah, that's that's a lot of the uh, complication sort of thing that's thrown in and nothing much is... Because that's, right. that's a whole arc right there. Right, right. The Nazi heritage of the Waynes. <laughs> right, and like maybe saying like, okay, so this guy was a Nazi scientist, but he had this technology, and if we appropriate it, or however you want to go about saying that... Uh, we can ultimately do good and make something positive happen for it. But yeah, we do have to associate with this guy to get it done. But does that ultimately matter? And uh, there's a lot to take in there. And that's something I find interesting about a lot of Sean Murphy's comics between this, between Punk Rock Jesus or Tokyo Ghost is he tackles some heavy stuff and plays with the ideas in interesting ways and doesn't always have a definitive answer, but sometimes he does. And he's willing to do these things that whatever comic you're reading, whatever problems they might have, they're so much more vibrant and they make you think about things in the real world on, in a way that I, I just don't get for most of the other comics, which is a big reason why i'm such a fan of his work despite the fact that i find some of his noted political leadings kind of questionable sometimes i know well, at least I, he's I, we don't really know his political leanings we only know that comicsgate thinks he's a manly man well if but, you do follow sean murphy oh, okay. some things come here or there well i do know like in punk rock jesus 
um, when I read it, I was not sure if he comes down on the side of uh, God exists or God doesn't exist. But then I read a bio or maybe an interview where he said, no, this was his, he's an atheist and he wrote Punk Rock Jesus with the point of view of an atheist. But I was not sure about that. It, it seemed to leave questions open in Punk Rock Jesus. Well, whether or not he believes in God, but I feel like uh, to, uh, Tokyo Jesus. And, and judging uh, from this comic, it's not sure where he lands on, you know, being tough on crime and all of that kind of con- that's one small slice of what being, well, of what some conservatives believe, but that Batman kind of represents that slice of conservatism to me, anyway. Well, I, 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 what I think is definitive here is he's not for vigilantism at the end of the day. That's the bigger sure. thing within within a Batman comic, especially. Like, and I think there's some play there. Like, how tough do you need to be on crime? What's right? And if you push people too far, are you not creating the problem? That's a big part of this, but there's also the need for law enforcement and being there, which is a real world, like balance take that you have to consider. But to say this one thing that we're on about is definitively wrong, you know, I, there's, there's definitely some hard lines in here, but it's so jumbled in with the rest of the situations and issues that relate to it that it, it, it makes for a rich tapestry, which I think is what right. we're saying. Like, there's definitely the failings in this book, but even the failings are so interesting to consider. Um, it's not right. just uh, Villain of the Week. If you are a conservative comic book creator and you're dealing with something where you can express some of those ideas, like possibly this Batman, you're in an awkward position right now because... If the S the anti SJW people take you to their bosom, then you're in a no win situation because you don't. They also like just they're not just a political group. They like to slam people personally, and make the people that they perceive as being liberals in the in the comic book world feel attacked. So you're not just saying you're conservative. You're saying you are attacking your fellow co-workers if you side with them but if you don't side with them then people will say you're one of the liberals uh, and which might also be uncomfortable if you're a conservative so i can see why he never quite you know wanted to step out on that issue either way Um, i don't know what the right way to go for a conservative person who who doesn't want to be seen as attacking his co-workers uh, responds to all this kind of stuff Right, and I'd be fascinated to hear him talk about it a bit more, but most of the reason I brought it up is because I didn't... There's no way I could read this comic without thinking about that whole debate, because it seems... Well, because he threw the words right in the comic. Right, it's part of the comic in some ways. And so understanding that debate and how it relates to comics in particular and with something like Batman, you know, that... And how he would have written this if he wrote it in a vacuum without uh, the internet responding issue by issue would be interesting to know, too. Or even if it was just, I don't know, three years ago. Because originally it was supposed to be six issues, then it was eight issues. So that means he was, it couldn't have all been completed before it started getting published. And uh, again, maybe like a lot of people, he has a mixture of conservative and other middle of the road kind of beliefs or whatever. Right. Um, But anyway, I I mean, I think ultimately to me, he needed an editor to kind of go over all the story beats with him and iron things out better and maybe talk about which elements to just drop so that it wasn't quite such a rich stew of random things, you know, such as, dude, we really need the whole thing about his father uh, possibly having Nazi connections. which turned out not to be so bad in the end. Another thing that jumped out at me in a big way was, I really liked this idea, but but the numbers seemed crazy. There's a, a fund that repairs Gotham from all the damage done by Batman fighting criminals that spends $3 billion a year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was kind of great the way he used it as, originally Jack Napier used it as something showing corruption with that the taxpayers money was being used to prop up Batman. Um, But then at the end it's revealed that it's all Bruce Wayne's money. 
Right. But the Bruce Wayne can afford to just throw away three billion dollars a year. Well, I think even Bill Gates would hesitate to spend three billion dollars a year. But maybe Bill Gates could afford it, but almost no one else. <laughs> right. I yeah, that's a. It was an extreme figure. <laughs> no, and at that point, I'm like, what does Wayne Industries actually do? <laughs> right. <laughs> There's a lot of billionaires now, but um, if they spent $3 billion a year, most of them would, would soon not be billionaires, maybe within one year. <laughs> right, exactly. So it, it is kind of clever, like some of the things, but he didn't follow them up further, but nice little th throwaway things like how these uh, savvy business real estate kind of people were buying up real estate where Batman caused... Um, devastation and then would wait for the public the, the batman repair fund to come in and repair things and then their values would go up mm -hmm. it, it was an interesting play on this idea and like how how things would affect through and clearly and, and like i said fan comic but fan comic in the best way like there's all these cute little nods to batman lore throughout and clearly this play like if you assigned any real world logic to these kinds of events happening and if they're happening regularly, how people take advantage or react or work through that is this fascinating. This is not a comic for someone who is not fairly well seeped in Batman. Yeah. Uh, yes. Though, you know, I, I would not, even though it's you know got lots of great stuff, I wouldn't recommend it to you know, someone who just occasionally wants to read a superhero uh, graphic novel. I, I agree with that. Um, but I would throw it in with a lot of the other stuff, like uh, The Last Laugh or uh, Batman Returns or Year One or any of that stuff. Year Two. Really? No. I, I feel like Year One is a great starting place for well, a Batman neophyte. It's Year One. I mean, yes. I certainly have people read Year One before this, but I, I'd put this before Hush, you know. I'm not sure. I think Hush would be easier. I mean, it's not as complex, but I think it would be easier for a new reader. Yeah, probably. To me, this is like, this is very much, you know, aimed towards fans. Gotcha. I mean, probably if you just had re watched a lot of Batman the Animated Series or something like that, that might be fine too. Right. Well, did you have anything else you wanted to tack on for White Knight? I guess just... The way I love the art, every few pages, he would just do this amazingly detailed scene in often someone's office or something like that that um, was very captivating. But And I like at the same time that when needed, he just does things very sketchily. Um, so he really controls the, um, the pace and the mood of the story, not only by you know how many words are in the balloon or how many panels on the page but actually the way he draws it, it things speed up or slow down depending on kind of the weight of the lines and the amount of detail in a given panel um, and I thought that was that was just really brilliant um, and I think he even though I wish this was better I think he's a great writer and I hope he continues to write his own stories rather than have you know he's done work with Scott Snyder and Mark Millar and I think I think he's better than Scott Snyder. Yeah. And Mark Millar does a whole different thing, which is his own thing, which he does well. But but I think that Murphy is such a good writer and, and can work so well with the art and the storytelling that I, I just hope he keeps pursuing this. And there was a rumor that he's going to do more in the White Knight universe, which may or may not be a good idea. But I guess it's it sold very well um, in the floppies anyway. Let's yeah. see how the trades do. I think the trade's been selling pretty well. I've seen copies go here and there. Oh, nice. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you, because I was surprised that you chose this, because kind of, you've kind of been repeating to me <laughs> in the past year, well, I'm not really a Batman guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm surprised you even decided to pick this one up. Was it because of Sean Murphy's art in the first place? Yeah, it's Sean Murphy, and so... We've had a bunch of friends, Joshua Hayes, DeCasso, whatnot, that are huge Batman fans. Right. And for a long time, right. I was Luke, reading... Yeah. yeah, a lot of people. A lot of Batman. 
and I just kind of like realized like you know I don't love all this I I get a lot more out of it talking with these people than sometimes reading it because they're picking up on so much more than what I do and so right you don't have to like Batman to like superheroes or like comic books right and so I don't know. I, I enjoy a good Batman comic here and there, and I'm still picking up Detective. But this is something I want to read because it was Sean Murphy, but also there's a good Batman mini. And I feel like Batman's the character that gets this more than any other character. Is It'll just be these offshoot miniseries that people right. do, and they're amazing. Right. Batman is a source of kind of endless seems to absorb the sort of retelling of the basic Gotham Gotham story in endless variations. And it just, it works when it's done in a short form really well. Right. And I really enjoy that. Like I enjoy the Matt Wagner Batman stuff or uh, the Tim Sale and uh, help me out here. Tim Sale. uh, Jeff Loeb. And Jeff Loeb Batman stuff like that stuff. I adore but the month to month, maybe not as much. But I mean, when you have those works, it, it's not that it's Batman. It's that those comics stand head and shoulders above so many others. And they happen to be Batman to me. So people are often sort of put on a Batman mini to do a little star turn uh, in a sense. Yeah. There's a, a, a non-Batman Batman story that I was really enjoying by Kurt Busiak with um, another really good artist whose name I now can't. In Astro City, or no, no, it it was uh they they did it in like sixty page issues on you know perfect bound or maybe they were forty eight page issues and it was called like Creature of the Night, okay, and it was someone whose like name was Wayne Bruce or something like that and his <laughs> life parallels Batman that he read about in the comic book so Batman's just a comic book character, but his. The spirit of his twin who died in the womb is following him around and takes on a bat-like creature and fulfills the guy's fantasies of fighting crime. But he starts to realize the creature will do anything to make things turn, you know, so innocent people get framed by him and stuff to make things fit his own fantasies. And I thought, and it was three of these mini, mini graphic novels. um, And I thought it was done, but now I saw that they are, They've got a fourth one coming out, so the the story's not quite done yet. Uh, but that just pops into mind. It's a very similar artist to Sean Murphy, and it's current. It's it's not complete, I guess yet. Yeah, I guess a question for you off the top of the mind is: Can you think of any runs like that that aren't Batman? Because I feel like Batman gets the lion's share of that sort of thing. Right, I'm I'm trying to think of... I mean, All-Star Superman, I guess, but... Yeah, I mean, Superman gets a little bit of that. I think they've tried that with Wonder Woman um, here yeah. and there. Um, currently, there's Wonder Woman Earth 1. Yeah, which has two crazily, entries. That crazy title that confuses everybody, because Earth 1 is not the main Earth. Um, <laughs> and there's been two volumes of it by uh, Grant Morrison. I haven't read the second volume yet. It, it was not, in my mind, very successful in the first album, uh, volume. I'd agree with that. And there was there was a mini called Legend of Wonder Woman, which was really good for younger readers. I read it with my daughter. That was that was pretty awesome. Um, I think there's a good Jill Thompson trade that's a little set apart as well. Of Wonder Woman? Yeah, yeah. True Amazon yeah, think, or something? I think I got that out of the library and, and ended up not loving it. Mm, okay. Jill, I like Jill Thompson's art, but I don't know if I like her writing that much. Okay. Um, well, how about over at Marvel? Have any? I mean, Wolverine has gotten a lot of minis over the years. I mean, there's the famous four issue Wolverine mil- mini, Frank Miller, the Claremont Miller. Will yeah, 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 yeah. That and then the Weapon X. So yeah, there's that. Um, I guess you have uh, Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb uh, doing their run. Daredevil Yellow, Hulk Gray, Spider-Man Blue, right, uh, right. Captain America, Red, White, and Blue, was it? Yeah, I think you're right. Or was it Captain America White? Or maybe it was. <laughs> Which was kind of odd. Yeah, it's hard to think of anyone else besides Batman who really has this long track record. Going back, I, I think it all started with that Frank Miller Batman Returns 
or the return of the dark knight or whatever it was called um mm-hmm. and then you know they even established legends of the dark knight as an ongoing series that always had short arcs that were just standalone stories by different sort of star creator pairings at the time right yeah no and i mean i i love that aspect and that sort of thing but I'd like to see it with other characters as well, because I feel like there's some archetypes to play with that would be more fun. And I guess DC set set itself up better for it with the whole idea of the Elseworlds and the multiverse, whereas with Marvel, you had What If, and there are these very disposable single issues, and you very rarely get these takeaways of just letting the character stand as the icon and letting it play through. Right. The Marvel characters don't yet... Well, some of them could, but but they don't seem to, for the most part, be these iconic, static kind of ideas. They're always growing and changing, which can be good and can be bad depending on the situation. But it doesn't lend itself to these minis that, you know, take a take an imaginary Spider-Man and give him a whole arc that pretty much remove removes him from any continuity, you know, temporarily. And I think you could have a lot of fun playing with, like, the Spider-Man villains in kind of this kind of a light or whatever. Right. Though they've right. certainly done Norman Osborn sane, and that didn't make for a lot of great comics, I don't think. But... Well, to plug Untold Tales of Spider-Man, you guys were kind of watching the arc of Sandman through a series of episodes. You could yeah. almost imagine a standalone, you know, six-issue series just about Sandman or something. after going through that, I think he's a character, like, as opposed to doing a Spider-Man one of these, I think doing a Sandman story and maybe going back and giving him an arc through the years and playing with that would create a really great comic. Because he's a very bizarre character with a bizarre backlog that goes throughout Marvel history. I mean, he was as much a Thing villain as he was a Spider-Man villain. Then he was part of the Wild Pack. Then he's part of the Avengers. Like, yeah. All over. (laughs) Yeah. He's all over. Yeah, so you could definitely tell some interesting stories. Maybe the villains at Marvel are more suited for that. Ooh. Obviously, they have done Doctor Doom stories, you know, for periods of time. Yeah. And you could pull that out more. Um, maybe it's just Marvel doesn't quite have the inclination to do these kinds of stories, that they see their characters as more part of the whole fabric, rather than, and it's harder for them to separate them out and have them have a, you know, one shot kind of story not one shot in one's issue but that the story exists by itself a more true blue graphic novel right although in the 80s marvel did a lot of graphic novels back when graphic novels were 60 pages or something yeah that's they right did a lot of and i haven't read very many of them but they did a lot of them then they were trying to kind of have these standalone archetypal stories about well like the one we did once read for a group discussion was it your suggestion? But man, what is it? God. Oh, God loves man kills. Yeah. God loves man kills. That's kind of a standalone outside of continuity that it later got brought into continuity, I suppose. Right. And I mean, of those graphic novels, I think that's the most. Uh, that was the most successful one. Yeah. Because that one has stood head and shoulders above the rest. I think there's another X-Men one. There's a few Spider-Man ones that I'm aware of, but they're not really like big spider-man stories in the grand scheme of things there's some weird avengers one where venom was there i think and mm-hmm. all that were just kind of weird uh bigger comics that ultimately just would have been a few issues i think and just no b plot at least twice stan lee tried to do standalone graphic novels about the silver surfer that were disconnected from the marvel universe hmm. one one with jack kirby um near the end of his return to marvel and it was not very good. And Oof. and and one with Mobius, right? Which was a little better, um, but it just seemed kind of odd. Maybe it was to my eyes as a reader to just have the Silver Surfer and Galactus be the only superpowered characters in a story without any Marvel heroes there at all. But he definitely wanted the Mobius one. I can't remember the one he did with Jack Kirby so well, but he definitely wanted the Mobius one to be like a parable. Maybe it was even called a parable <laughs> maybe it was called like a silver surfer a parable and maybe that's going too non-specific you still want kind of a specifics of a character arc just have the character arc go where you can't normally go 
Yeah, I, I I just think it's a strong idea and I'd like to see a little more of it. I, I think part of it is just because I've, after, you know, reading for years and years, I love the characters, but I could maybe deal with a little less of the rat race and maybe a little more focus. Right. Yeah, as much as I enjoyed my reread of this, it actually made me feel like, phew, I need a rest from Gotham and Batman. Now. <laughs> like, that was a lot of Batman and Gotham in just eight issues and... I I I was about I'm about to start back up with Batman in Detective when Pete Tomasi comes on I think next month. Sounds right. But I feel at the moment a bit bat exhausted. Well, you just need to grab your Batarade and uh, <laughs> refuel. Right, right. I have to rehydrate on batness. I just think I mean there are people we know like Joshua Hayes and Luke and many others who read every bat book that comes out, and that's a lot of bat. A lot of Gotham. I mean, I read every Spider-Man book. And right, they're like you. <laughs> yeah. Spider-Man. Well, it's funny that? to me, though, because... Now, have you gone through periods where you had to, you know, pull away from the spider? I, I thought a year or two ago you weren't reading so much. Yeah, more of my pull away from Spider-Man has been fan outrage, more so than exhaustion. Um, once with uh, right after Brand New Day. Or One More Day. Sorry, I always mix uh, up those titles because... That was quite a while ago. Yeah, but I definitely pulled away and then came back about a year later. And then it turns out I missed a lot of great issues because immediately right after that, the it, it, it's really <laughs> good. Um, and then right when Superior started, I was not having it. And I pulled away. And I actually still stand by that right. because... I enjoyed reading Superior when it was said and done, but in its day, I just wasn't, it wasn't for me. And it bugged me because at, because I do love Spider-Man and it's the one comic that I kind of just need every month to just be yes. in there to kind of help things along for me. Like I, I just love that book. And when it wasn't really Spider-Man for me, it, it was there, it was like a separate Spider-Man family comic rather than a than the central Spider-Man comic anymore. Right, and the, they're like the darker, you know, whatever Spider-Man. I'm like, oh man, you mean like Venom or Scarlet Spider, which I'm also reading. Like it just didn't <laughs> register for me. So at most times when you're reading Spider-Man, you are also reading Venom and Scarlet Spider and <laughs> Peter Parker, and are you reading or, Spider Gwen and? Yep. What's the one that was in another universe where he stayed married to Mary Jane and had a baby? Are they renew your vows? Renew your vows. So you, you get the you literally do get them all. Yes. So I'm I am never that way. I think I I've never managed to like stick with one character for a long period of time without taking breaks. Yeah, and up until the podcast, I used to try to pick one or two Spider books to not get, purely for financial and diversity reasons. Um, also, so the podcast gives you an excuse to spend more money. Yeah, well, that and it's research right now. Um, it's I was hitting a point where I was like, I have to give up one of these. I'm very close to dropping uh, Spider Man Deadpool because it's terrible. And has been for three years now, and I really should have dropped it. And has Peter Parker ended? Peter Parker Spectacular? Peter Parker Spectacular ends next issue. And then um, they're basically just replacing it with Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, which is going to be Tom Taylor. And will you get that? Oh, yeah. I'm definitely getting that. Tom Taylor well, Tom and Spider-Man? Tom Taylor's a good writer, but it, I just saw an image of it, and it definitely looked like the kid's Spider-Man or something. I don't think it's going to be like uh, Spider-Man Adventures. Morales? Is it going to be Miles Morales? No, Miles Morales has a book starting up. I forget the creator's names who are going to be on that. I'm also pretty sure I can't pronounce them. Uh, and do you always get the Miles Morales? No, that's going to be new for me. I've never picked up Miles Morales' book before. I kind of avoided him for a long time. I, I never had anything against Miles Morales, but I dropped Ultimate Spider-Man, which I was getting in trades, and I stopped picking up the trades around the time that the Ultimate Universe rebooted. Because I stopped getting, right. because I was getting everything Ultimate in trades, and then once Ultimatum, I think that was the name of it, hit, uh, it it was bad, and I stopped reading the entire thing. And eventually, I heard Spider-Man pick back up, and Miles Morales was great, 
so I, I went back and read that retroactively, and now I've read every Miles Morales book in one form or another. Okay. But I so hadn't picked it up concurrently. Follow it, yeah, in the... In its moment, time, yeah. In, in its moment, yeah. Or I, I lie. I haven't read every book with Miles Morales because I haven't read every Champions issue because I stopped following that one. I have wondered, like, if every Superman-related comic were brilliant, whether would I want to get them all? Because I keep picking them all up and then dropping them all. I mean, constantly. <laughs> That's interesting. I definitely try to There's do... a part of me that wants Superman to just be something that I enjoy, but, but most of the time I don't. That's how I am with uh, Wonder Woman, and right now I'm thrilled with it, and I know you're not as such. I'm eh on it, and I my expectations were way too high because I had such a high opinion of the Ms. Marvel comics that I read, even though I didn't follow follow it. I thought they were excellent comics, and I, I read maybe the first four trades worth, I suppose, in single issues. Right. Um, and then just stopped with the plan to read the rest someday. But I was always, ever since reading those, I was thinking, wow, I can't wait till G. Willow Wilson writes Wonder Woman. Um, <laughs> possibly the best women superhero writer at the moment in comics. Arguable, but, but um, she's... Well, so it seemed to me. No, no. Uh, I, but then on Wonder Woman, it just seems like this is an okay Wonder Woman story. Uh, Ares looks kind of like Steve... Trevor. Trevor, and I thought at first that was the twist that Steve Trevor had become Ares, but no, that's not going on. And huh. so uh, it's just Ares is back, and he doesn't look anything like the Ares I loved in the Brian Azzarello, Cliff Chang Wonder Woman. No, um, he who had a whole interesting relationship with Wonder Woman. Well, they're kind of playing on that though. Uh, sort of. Yeah, sort of. I don't know. I mean, it's also only what two issues in. Uh, that's true. A lot, and, and the other thing is she's saddled with an artist that's just not right for her. I mean, I've seen that artist do good work other places, but it, it's just not clicking at all. Really? I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's like the best team or the best artist by any means, but like I, I'm fine with all of it. I, I, it's been working for me. I don't know. I, well, that's cool. Well, you know, it's always good when we don't agree. <laughs> I, was, I just read Fantastic Four's issue three and four because they came in the mail at the same time. Weird. And uh, especially because three and four were like three ends the first arc and four is kind of a standalone issue. Yeah, I thought they were. I thought the first three issues. Well, I thought issue two and three were terrible. Okay, (laughs) and I thought issue four was okay. Um, Man, I've been loving Fantastic Four. I know. I remember you saying that. So I was like, I had maybe I had overly high expectations, but these these are not. To me, these are not very interesting comics. Well, They're okay, but... And to me, I don't, like... I don't have much perception of the Fantastic Four. Uh, but I know you were following it for years and years, and... Yeah, but mostly when I was a kid. And, yeah. Uh, uh, th- then since I was a kid, just on and off, I've liked certain, certain creative runs on it. Well, um, if Spider-Man plays too far out of the expectations of what were set up for me when I was a kid, I, I get a little odd about it. <laughs> right, right. Spider-Man, I suppose, is closer to how he was when you were a kid than it, well than anything was close to how it is when I was a kid. Right. Since our childhoods are uh, 20 years apart or more. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> I'm basically your father's age, I believe. I was just a little surprised that I didn't like Fantastic Four a little more. Because I do generally appreciate Dan Slott as a good writer. uh, And It it seems very rare when we agree that a comic's (laughs) generally worth the while. Yeah, I don't know why we're friends at all. Yeah, it's bizarre. But uh, why why would we possibly want to start a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny. Most of the stuff we've read, I think we've kind of hit similar that's true notes on here i guess there were some of those fantastic fours that i maybe i liked more than you did well i mean i enjoyed all of them i think you have more and we're getting more part of it too is like i liked them more after talking to you because i was able to access some of it whereas a lot of it just felt like freaking weird (laughs) (laughs) well i think ultimately my two biggest complaints about the current Fantastic Four are 
the cosmic stuff is too big and wild and woolly. It's like there's no limits whatsoever on it. Okay. Um, which to me makes it less interesting. Feels more like magic, less like science. And then I feel like he goes overboard on let's have a hug fest. Oh, we're just family. We love you, everybody, all that. And it just, yeah, I get it. That's how they all feel and everything. But it it doesn't make for much of a story to read for me. Yeah, because I guess the older Fantastic Four is more tension and more play. Right, and it was always about how they squabbled like a family. And usually when you're hanging out with your family, you don't sit around saying, oh, we're like a family and it's so wonderful and we should hug each other. You only think of that after each other's died or something. <laughs> but... I mean, I, I'm exaggerating for effect. Obviously. No, I know, but we do hug our good. family members and express affection. For them. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, and since we never stay dead, we will be back with another podcast. And never a hug. And never. A hug. I I never hug Matt, especially on the computers. <laughs> Alrighty. I hear there are some fans who uh, kiss the computer screen when it's on, but I've not seen that person. Well, really, we just have one person who demands we both take our shirts off. Our best fan. And that's that's mostly about his family feelings about us. All right. Well, until we pick another comic to talk about, never stay dead. <laughs> <laughs>